Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Fit for Prosperity podcast. I'm your host, Lucas. Thank you so, so much for tuning in. I'm so pumped to bring you today's episode. You can't even imagine. Um, I've been talking to Terry Tucker and this has been a so inspiring interview. It's crazy. Um, Terry is going through a super rare and um, yeah, uncurable form of cancer. Um, he's undergoing some experimentational therapy they try to fix him but they don't know and to be honest he doesn't know how long he's gonna live anymore so but what's so inspiring about him is how positive he all takes it you know he's he's still super happy about his life he says he wouldn't have it any difference he has gratitude even for the biggest obstacles and talking to him and seeing his positivity amidst all that adversity is just so so inspiring so I really really liked the interview then he also shares um, his principles um, that he also shared in the book sustainable excellence 10 principles to leading your uncommon and extraordinary life so there is also plenty of stuff to learn in this interview uh, uh, yeah, it was super inspiring and super interesting talking to him I hope you enjoyed this show as much as I did and uh, if you do so, please subscribe to the channel. It would mean the world to me. Thank you so much. Now enjoy the show. Hi, Terry. Thank you so much for being on the podcast with me. It's a real pleasure. I'm pumped to hear more about your story and learn about all your experiences and your knowledge. Um, I won't talk too much about what I already know about you because you probably know a lot more. So... Uh, let you introduce yourself tell us your story where you're coming from um what you have been going through i know it has been quite emotional so yeah let the listeners know it will be amazing well thank you lucas for having me on i'm excited to to talk to you today uh, i'll give you the short version of, of of my life i am the oldest of three boys you you can't tell this from my voice but i'm six foot eight inches tall and I played college basketball here in the United States, despite having three knee surgeries in high school. When I graduated from college, I moved home to find a job. This was long before, you know, I'm really gonna date myself now, long before the internet was available. Uh, and I was all set, you know, to make my mark on the world with my newly obtained business administration degree. And, you know, I look back now and realize kind of what a knucklehead I was to think that I, knew anything about business just because I had a degree. Fortunately, I was able to find that first job in the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the, the hamburger chain. Um, but unfortunately, I ended up living with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mom care for my grandmother and my father, who were both dying of different forms of cancer. In my professional career, um, I, I, as I said, I've been in the marketing department at Wendy's. I was a hospital administrator. I was a police officer. And while I was a police officer, uh, I worked undercover narcotics. And I was also a SWAT team hostage negotiator. Um, I had my own school security consulting business. I was a girls high school basketball coach. I've been a motivational speaker. Last year, I became an author as well. And then for the last nine years, I have been battling this very rare form of cancer. And then finally, my wife and I have been married for 28 years. We have one child, a daughter, who's a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy and is an awesome. officer in the new branch of the military here in the U.S., the Space Force. Oh, yeah, I've heard about that. So she's going to moon soon? 
Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> she's going to the moon. Yeah, believe me. <laughs> when she upsets her mom and I, absolutely. <laughs> Amazing. And also, like, you have been doing so many different things. Like, um, that's just got me curious. What always got you to change your professions in, like, 180 to something completely different? Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny because if you look at my resume, you know, my first two jobs are kind of, you know, white collar uh, you know, suit and tie Monday through Friday jobs. And my passion, especially when I was young, was always law enforcement. I have uh, or had a grandfather who was a Chicago policeman. Chicago is one of the larger cities here in the United States uh, mm -hmm. back in the in the 20s and the 30s and that. And he was actually shot in the line of duty with his own gun. It, it wasn't a serious injury. He was shot in the ankle. But my dad always remembered the stories my grandmother told of the knock on the door of, you know, Mrs. Tucker, please grab your son and come with us. Your husband's been shot. So when I said, you know, <laughs> I'd like to get into law enforcement, my dad was like, absolutely not. You know, you're, he had my whole life plan. You're going to go to college. You're going to major in business. You're going to get out, get a great job, get married, have 2.4 kids and live in the suburbs. You know, I mean, he had my whole life plan. But that was the life that he wanted me to lead. It wasn't the life that I felt I was born to lead. So I had a choice. He was he was sick. He had cancer when I graduated from college. And I, you know, he, he did what he did for me out of love. It wasn't out of spite. And so I didn't want to hurt him anymore. So I got into business, my first two jobs, just to appease him. And then I sort of joke. I always say that I did what every good son did. I waited till my father passed away and then I followed my dreams and that and that's kind of what I did. I was a 37 year old rookie, you know, right out of the academy police officer and 37 is kind of old to be getting into that kind of a profession. So yeah. but that was my passion and, and I love doing it. So, you know, I go from business to law enforcement and then I ended up having to get out of that because my wife lost her job and we had to move. And I started my own school security consulting business, and I coached high school basketball. Our, our daughter got my height, and she ended up playing basketball in college at the Air Force Academy. So I wanted to coach her in high school. So that's, you know, it, it kind of progresses if you understand my life. But if you look at it on paper, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. If, you, if I get this story, then it's like, oh, yeah, of course you would do it like that. But if you just hear it like a resume, it's like, why would you do that? <laughs> well, it's cool. It definitely, I like that. So um, you have been telling that you, you're dealing with this rare form of cancer now for nine years. Uh, I know that has changed a lot in your life and has probably been one of the like um, deepest or moments probably that you have been going through. Um, so first off, how are you today? Are you fully healed? Are you fully recovered? Or is that still something you're battling and will follow you for the rest of your life? Yeah, it, it's, it's something I'm still battling. I have tumors in my lungs uh, that I'm uh, undergoing a clinical trial drug. Uh, the, and, and the drug is helping. It has shrunk the tumors somewhat. But my doctor is not talking about a cure. He's just talking about buying me more time. So in, in, in all honesty, I am, I'm probably without being morbid, I'm, I, I'm probably dying. And, and that's okay, because I always feel that 
you know, my purpose, as I just told you, was law enforcement. And I feel that if people would live their purpose, if they'll, you know, they'd get out there and find the reason they were put on this earth and then live that reason, live that purpose, live that why, whatever you want to call it, that when it comes to the end of your life, death is not so scary because you actually live the life that you were, you were born to live. And it's those people who don't do that, you know, who kind of just sit around and let life come to them and, and, and sort of, you know, treat life as kind of a casual thing. Well, at the end of their life, you know, life becomes kind of a casualty to them because they don't, they've never really done anything. And those are the people that, you know, they want another day or another month or another year to live. But unfortunately, at that point in time, they're not going to get that. So for me, yeah, I'm probably coming to the end of my life. But as I said, it's, it's really not that scary for me. That's like, it's crazy somehow. I like, um, how easy you talk about that. And especially now, I feel like nowadays with the pandemic, you know, it's we do everything to protect every little life and like prolong it by a couple of months. And it's right what you're saying, right? I think it's because people, most of us are not prepared or haven't fulfilled our purpose and need like more time, right? So I was like, that's super impressive how you, how you look at it. Um, do you think that's kind of a societal problem that, um, that dying is almost forbidden nowadays? I do. You know, I, I mean, excuse me. You know, if, if you look at it, I mean, life and death, the circle of life, so to speak, it, it happens every year. We see it, you know, in the fall things, in, in the winter things die. And then in the spring, new life comes about. You know, we're, we're not designed to live forever. And, and I mean, and think how boring it would be if we did live forever. You know, they're <laughs> having a, a, you know, sort of a, an, an end date to our lives. And, and I don't know when that is. And, and in all honesty, I don't spend a lot of time worrying about when I'm going to die. I, I mean, I always kind of joke that that's way above my pay grade. So, you know, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't worry about it too much, but yeah, I think people need to spend time finding their purpose. We were all put here, I believe. Mm -hmm. We were all put here to do something. We were all given unique gifts and talents. We all don't have the same gifts and talents, but we all have the ability to become the best person that we're capable of becoming with whatever our gifts and talents are. And I think if we do that, no matter what that is, then when it comes to the end of our lives, we'll have a lot more peace and a lot more happiness. It's the people that are just kind of running around, like I say, with their hair on fire, you know, just, I gotta do this, I gotta do this, I gotta do this. And, and they never take time to be quiet and to kind of listen to, you know, their, their mind and what's going on and stuff like that. So yeah, I think people are scared to death to die. When I found out I had this latest bout of cancer where I lost my leg and I had the tumors in my lungs, I went to the cemetery, I went to the mortuary, I went to the church, and I planned my whole funeral. And I got some brushback from that from people. People are like, oh, you know, don't you think that's kind of defeatist by doing that? And I kind of looked at them like, well, last time I checked, everybody's going to die. I don't think anybody's working on a cure for life right now. So everybody dies. 
but not everybody really lives. And I think the focus should be less on dying and more on really living the purpose for which you were put here. Yeah, I think that makes total sense. And also, um, as you say, it puts the fact that we die, if you're aware of that, it puts some urgency on our life and really like kind of remembering that forces us to do what we really want to do because we know we're not here forever. So uh, yeah, I love that perspective. But I think, or I'd assume you weren't born with that. Was when you first got diagnosed with cancer, I'd assume that was very scary. Or were you at that point already? Oh, yeah. The same way you're talking about it now? Or was it at the first moment like, holy shit, am I and you also got scared? And then was a process of developing that mindset? Uh, walk us through that. Sure. So yes, I was scared. I, 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 I don't want, you know, I'll, I'll talk a lot about, you know, motivation and keeping, you know, your ability to keep moving forward. But I, I want your audience to realize that, you know, there's no S on my chest. I don't have a cape and fly around with magical powers. You know, I, I have bad days just like everybody else. I cry, I get down, I get depressed. It, it you know, I, I always say that, you know, in our lives, pain, is inevitable. And it doesn't have to be pain, you know, like mine, cancer pain or a terminal or a chronic illness. It could be as simple as, you know, you, you, you flunk a, a test at school or you break up with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, or, you know, you don't get the promotion at work that you think you deserve. Pain is inevitable. Suffering, on the other hand, that's optional. That's what you do with that pain. Do you use that pain to make you stronger and tougher and more determined? Or do you wallow in it and, you know, feel sorry for yourself and want other people to feel sorry for you? Yeah, I get into those dark places, but I just don't let myself stay there. So when I was diagnosed, I was a girls high school basketball coach in the state of Texas here in the U.S. And, and I had a simple, I had a callus that broke open on the bottom of my foot uh, right below my third toe. And being a basketball coach, you're on your feet a lot. So I didn't initially think much of it. But after a couple of weeks when it didn't heal, I went to see a podiatrist, a foot doctor, a friend of mine, and he took an x-ray and he said, Terry, I think you have a cyst in there and I can cut it out. And he did. And he showed it to me. It was just a little gelatin sack with some white fat in it. There was no blood, no dark spots, nothing that would give anybody any concern. But he sent it off to pathology. And then two weeks later, I get a call from him. And he's like, you know, the more difficulty he was having telling me what was going on, the more scared, the more frightened I became until finally he just laid it out. He said, Terry, I've been a doctor for 25 years and I've never seen this form of cancer. You have a rare form of melanoma, which most people think of as a skin disease. You're out in the sun too much or something like that. You have this rare form of melanoma that appears on the bottom of your feet or the palms of your hands. And I recommend you go to this MD Anderson, which is probably the best cancer hospital, certainly in the United States, maybe in the world, to be treated. And so I did. And I went there and I had the, the bottom of my foot removed where the tumor was and I had all the lymph nodes in my groin removed as well. And then when I healed, I was put on a weekly injection of a drug called interferon that basically gave me severe flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week after each oh, injection. Damn. And I took those weekly injections for almost five years. So imagine oh, having shit. the flu every week for five years. 
And, and that's, that was just to keep the disease from coming back. That was not, you know, do this and it's going to cure you. My, my oncologist used to talk about kicking the can down the road. That's all we're trying to do. We're trying to buy you more time so there's more therapies. So I ended up having to go off that drug in 2017 because it became very toxic to my body. The disease immediately came back. 2018, I had my left foot amputated. 2019, it came back again in my shin and I had two more surgeries. And then last year, an undiagnosed tumor in my ankle grew large enough that it fractured my tibia, my shin bone. And my only recourse right in the middle of the pandemic was to have my, my left leg amputated above the knee. And that's also when I found out that I had the tumors in my lungs. So yeah, scared, sure. You know, depressed, you know, down. I had done everything right in my life. I mean, I had eaten well, like you, you know, we talked earlier, mm -hmm. you know, I exercised, I, I'd eaten well, I'd had a physical exam every year, I had whatever tests the doctor recommended, I do. And yet here I have this very rare form of cancer. So, you know, I, I, sometimes I get the question, you know, who do you blame for that? It's like, I don't blame yeah. anybody. You know, I, I just got cancer. It, it, it's okay. You know, some people are like, you know, do you blame God? I'm like, no, I don't think God got up on a Tuesday morning and checked his to-do list and said, ah, Terry Tucker, cancer today. I, no, I don't think God did that. I just got it. These are my cards and I need to play them. I don't spend a lot of time worrying about why I got it. That's so crazy because I think most people would kind of default into the oh, that's so unfair. I've done everything to kind of avoid that. And now still here I am. And the guy next to me is like smoking two packets of cigarette and he's fine, you know. Uh, so then just to be there and be like, oh, yeah, that's just my cars and I make the best out of it. That's like. Very I mean, nobody, ever, nobody ever promised us life would be fair. You know, there, there's <laughs> yeah. an old saying that, you know, there's a delusion that, you know, and I'm, and I'm actually, I'm not even going to give you that, that, that quote because I'm going to mess it up. But, it, you know, the only thing that makes life unfair is the delusion that it should be fair. It, 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 there's, you know, yeah. why did I get cancer and you didn't? Or why did you get cancer and I, I, I don't know. I don't know why that happened. It just did. And these are my cards. You know, I mean, I can wallow in it. I can be, oh, you know, poor me. You should feel sorry for me. The hell with that. Why, you shouldn't feel sorry for me. You know, you should get on with living your life and I'll get on with living mine and I'll do the best I can with what I have. So yeah, you're right. It's not fair, but nobody ever said life was going to be fair. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's so true. <laughs> well, it, it's just, it's the way we deal with it. Um, do you think, I mean, you seem enormously mentally tough. Um, so do you think that's something that, on your way through your life you have developed or do you think that's more like a characteristic you were you were born with that's a great question i i think it's kind of been a progression throughout my life to get to this point i'm not so sure i was really mentally tough i mean when i was young uh, i i had i was in high school i had three knee surgeries and i I came back from that to, to play basketball in college. And I remember when I, when I had those surgeries, when I went back playing, my mind started putting these thoughts into my head about, you know, 
hey, you're probably a step slower and college coaches probably aren't going to be interested in recruiting you. And and I, I think the first thing you need to do is realize that those thoughts are there. You know, I, I, I've read articles that say, you know, we get 60 to 70,000 thoughts in our brain every day. So, you know, to kind of filter out that clutter and say, okay, this is a negative thought. This is something that's not helping me. You know, I need to change that, that, that tune. I need to flip the switch. And, you know, when I started to say, no, wait a minute, I'm still playing at an elite level. And coaches are still contacting me about playing for their schools in college. You know, you you flip the switch and say, no, that that's that's definitely not the case. But you've got to recognize those thoughts are there. If you think about it, our brain can hold one thought at a time. Why would you make that a negative thought? Why would you want that to be a negative thought? You want something positive going on in your mind because it's just like anything else. The more what of whatever you put in, you know, like you say, you, you smoke two packs of cigarettes a day, eventually your lungs are going to crap out and, you know, you're going to end up having cancer. But if you do the right things, if you put good stuff, good fuel, good energy, good food into your body, that gives your body an opportunity to, to help itself, to heal itself and things like that. There's an old, uh, there's an old story about Alexander the Great, probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest conqueror in the world that when he was dying he he brought his counselors together and asked them to carry out his final three wishes and these are what his wishes were since first one was he wanted his doctors his physicians to carry his uh, coffin to the grave the second wish was that he wanted the the road to the cemetery paved with gold and silver and precious stones and the third wish was he wanted his hands hanging outside of his coffin. And one of his counselors looked at him and said, you know, you're Alexander the Great. I mean, you could have any wish you wanted. Why did you pick these three wishes? And he said, number one, I want my physicians to carry my coffin to the grave because I want people to realize that no doctor cures anybody. All they do is help the body to cure itself. And, and that is so true. And I found that over the years, you know, doctors can give you medicines and things like that, but it's really you and your body that heals itself. It's not a doctor that heals you. So that was the first wish. The second wish was, he said, you know, I spent my whole life accumulating wealth and riches and power and influence, and yet none of that is coming with me to the next life. I want people to realize that it's just, it's folly to spend your life trying to be you know, important or wealthy or influential. It doesn't matter. It, 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 it's not anything that, that carries on after this life. And his third wish was leaving his hands outside of his coffin. He wanted people to realize that he had come into this world empty-handed and he pretty much was leaving it the same way. And I think that's a good story because it illustrates, I think in a lot of ways, what's really important in life, or maybe more importantly, what's not important in life. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. It's crazy. I was first when you, when you told the three wishes, I wasn't getting them at all. I was like, that's so strange wishes. But then with the explanations like, oh, yeah, those are like really great signs and really great ways to paint a picture, right? Um, exactly. So still, I think the um, 
all the experience that you have been going through were in a way probably traumatic as well, right? Um, is there a common denominator that helped you to overcome those? Mm. Um, I know you have your four principles or four truths. What are those and uh, how did you come up with them? Yeah, the, the four truths are, are just four sentences. That They're things that I've developed over the last nine years that, that resonate with me, you know, much more than just my mind, you know, kind of in my heart or in my soul. And, and I'll read them to you. I actually have them on a post-it note, you know, sitting here on my desk that I see multiple times every day. And the, and the first one we actually kind of just talked about, mm -hmm. the first one is you need to control your mind or your mind will control you. Uh, the second one is we need to embrace the pain and the difficulty that we all experience in life and use that pain and difficulty to make us a stronger and more determined individual. The third one is kind of a kind of a legacy truth, for lack of a better word. And it's this, it's what we leave behind is what we weave in the hearts of other people. And then the fourth one is, as long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. And I, I just use those truths. And, and I, 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 as I mentioned, I'm on a clinical trial now of, of a drug that really kind of kicks my butt when I do it. I, I go to the hospital every day for a week I get this drug and I, I throw up, I shake, I have a headache, I have a fear. It's just nasty the, the way my body reacts. But reacting that way is my body, you know, doing what it's supposed to do with the drug. So that's, that's definitely a positive. But I had a nurse tell me one time, she said, you know, this drug is really hard on you. Nobody would think anything less if you quit, if you got off of it. And I tried to explain to her the four truths. And I told her, I said, you know, my doctor may take me off this drug or quite literally, I may die on this drug, but I'll never quit this drug because as long as it's helping me, it's something that I, I feel I need to be able to go through. I can handle the physical, um, you know, manifestations of the drug. I can handle all the side effects and things that it gives me. It's, it's the mental part that you have to deal with. It's the, you know, I feel so lousy, but you got to realize that that feeling lousy is what the drug is supposed to do. If I wasn't feeling lousy, it would mean the drug wasn't working. So, you know, you kind of have to battle that. I feel terrible with, no, the mental side of it is I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I need to do and the drug is doing what it's supposed to do to, to help me live longer. But if she said no one would blame you if you were to get off the drug that would basically mean you also give up and be like i'll die quite early or or much earlier than if i take the drug so basically giving up on life um yeah i mean to a point i i, I think the other part of this is because it's a clinical trial it, it's it's a drug mm -hmm. that's not approved for everybody and they're trying to, the doctors are trying to learn how this drug, you know, is it, does it work? Is it effective? And if it is effective, you know, what are the side effects? You know, sometimes, yeah, the drug works, but the side effects are worse than the drug. And I guess what I've learned, especially during playing team sports, most of my life up through college was that, you know, when you're playing a team sport, if you don't do your job, 
not only are you letting yourself down, but you're letting your teammates down, your coaches down, your parents down, your, your fans down, et cetera. And if you think about it, the biggest team sport that we all play is this game of life. And, you know, especially young people get criticized a lot today that, you know, hey, it's all about me. You know, I'm not going to do anything unless it's about me. It's not about you. It's about us. And I realize that the longer I can stay on this drug, yes, I hope it helps me. I, I hope it, I, I get a miracle and it saves my life. But the other side of, this, of that is I'm also hopefully the, the information the doctors are gleaning from my scans, from my blood work, from all the tests that they do, maybe five years from now, 10 years from now, they'll be able to use the information from, from my situation to develop a drug that'll save somebody's life. I may not even be here. I very well may be dead by that time. But if I have some small say in helping somebody else down the road, somebody else who I don't even know, that to me is kind of going back to being part of a team, being part of something bigger than myself and helping somebody else down the road. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I think what just what that just reminds me of is the giving reason to suffering, right? So Viktor Frankl has been writing a lot about that when he was going through the Nazi death, Nazi death camp experience that basically the only way to get through extreme suffering is to give it a bigger meaning while you're going through to, to develop a strong why, why you're doing that. Um, was that something that you consciously developed by asking yourself, why am I doing this? What is the positive of that? Um, or is it just a coincidence? No, I, I think it, it's something I consciously thought about. I, I mean, when I, when I found out I had the tumors in my lungs, my initial treatment was chemotherapy. My doctor wanted to put me on chemotherapy. And, and I remember back watching my dad suffer through chemotherapy. And it was kind of like, what's the point? I mean, you're just feeling lousy and feeling sicker. And it's not going to cure you or anything like that. You're still going to die. And so my initial thought was, no, I, I don't want to take chemotherapy. And, but, but I told my doctor, I said, I'll go home and I'll, I'll talk to my family. It's just me and my wife and my daughter. It's, it's not a big family. And, and I told them what the doctor said. And, you know, my daughter was immediately, all right, we need a family meeting. I'm like, family meeting? There's three of us. You know, I mean, what, what kind of meeting we got going on here? So we all sit around the kitchen table and we kind of talk about, you know, how I feel, how my daughter feels, how my, my wife feels. And after we, we talk it out for a while, you know, my daughter's like, all right, let's take a vote. How many people want dad to have chemotherapy? You know, and my daughter <laughs> and, my, and my wife raise their hand. And I'm like, wait a minute, did I just get outvoted two to one to have chemotherapy when I didn't really want to do that? And, and the answer was yes, I just got outvoted. But I remember back to a story when I was in the police academy, the, the defensive tactics instructor that we had used to have us bring a photograph of the people that we love the most to class. And we would look at that photograph as we were, we were learning different techniques to defend ourselves when we were policemen. And he reasoned, he wanted us to look at those photos because he reasoned that you will fight harder for the people that you love than you will fight for yourself. And, you know, I, I, I immediately thought about that. I'm like, you know, here are my wife and daughter who don't want me to go yet, who don't think that, you know, they, they want to lose me. So, yeah, we're going to vote to have you do this, even though you don't want to do it. And I'm going to do it because I love them more than I love myself. 
And I, I, it was just something, you know, this was like tw 20 years ago that, that, I, that I would do that, that I had that photograph and I was looking at it. And yet 20 years later, I remembered that story and thought, you know what? Yeah, I guess you do fight harder for the people you love than you fight for yourself. Amazing. So, but then you did, so the drug you're taking now is a form of chemotherapy then? It's not, actually that, I went okay. off chemotherapy and I was put on this, this new drug that is, is not approved for anything. They're, okay. they're just trying to see if it's working. Um, there were seven of us that started on this study. I am the last one left. Um, so, and, and like I said, it is working somewhat for me. It's not going to mm -hmm. cure me. It's not going to take my cancer away, but it's certainly going to buy me more time. Okay. That's impressive. Um, I think all your experiences probably were the biggest influence of uh, how did you get to write your book and the principles that you teach in there. Um, yeah, how did you to get to write your book? So the, the book was really born out of two conversations that I had. One was with a former player that I had coached when I was a basketball coach. And she and her fiance had moved to the area where my wife and I live. And we had had dinner with them one night. And I remember saying to her, you know, I'm really excited that you're living close and I can watch you find and live your purpose. And she got real quiet for a while. And then she kind of looked at me and she was like, well, coach, what do you think my purpose is? I said, I have no idea what your purpose is, but that's what your life should be about. Finding the reason you were put on this earth and then living that, that reason. That was the first conversation. The second one was with a young man from college who connected with me and wanted to know what I thought were the most important things that he should learn to not only be successful in his job or in business, but to be successful in life. And I didn't want to give him the, you know, get up early, work hard, help others. Not that those aren't important. Those are incredibly important. But I, mm -hmm. I kind of felt they'd been done a lot. Yeah. And so I, I wanted to give him something that, you know, maybe would go deeper, that, that would resonate in his soul or in his heart. And so I spent some time and I wrote some notes. And eventually I had these 10 principles and I sent them to him. And then I kind of stepped back and I was like, well, you know, I got a life story that fits under this principle, or I know somebody whose life emulates that principle. And literally, uh, I had my leg amputated in April of 2020, started chemotherapy for the tumors in my lungs in June of 2020. And during that roughly three-month period where I was healing from my amputation, I sat down at the computer every day, and I started to build stories under each of the principles and eventually I had, you know, sustainable excellence, the 10 principles to leading your uncommon and extraordinary life. And then the book got published and I was like, you know, I'd never published a book before. I didn't know anything about it. I was like, okay, I got to sell books. I got to sell books. I got to sell books. And I had a, a best-selling author over in the UK who I connected with, who kind of pulled me aside. And he's like, Terry, you're, you're totally missing the point here. He's like, your job is not to sell books. Your job is to help people. If you help people, your books will sell themselves. And I, and I was so glad that he, he kind of said that to me. You know, he had the experience and stuff like that. It's like, no, you didn't write the book to, to get famous or to make money or to do anything like that. You wrote the book to help people. So spend your time helping people and the book will take care of itself. So that's kind of the, the journey of 
sustainable excellence. Awesome. So are all the 10 principles related to your experiences, stuff that you learned on the way, maybe before the cancer or during the cancer? Um, or how did you come up with the 10 principles actually? Yeah, they're, they're not they're not specifically geared toward cancer or my journey through cancer mm -hmm. at all. They're just things that I learned uh, over the years. And uh, for example, when I was, you know, when you're a police officer, most of what your interaction with people is face to face, you know, whether you're giving them a ticket, you know, or whether you're responding to a radio run for a domestic violence situation, it's face to face, you're there with the person, and you can take visual clues from what's going on, you know, if you're talking to them, and they're kind of, you know, looking around, you might, well, maybe they're looking to escape, maybe they're looking to run, or if they're balling up their fists, maybe they want to want to fight you. And, and you can do something about that. When you see that, you can sit them down, you can handcuff them, you can put them in the back of your car, whatever is appropriate based on why you were there, or why you contacted them. But when I was a negotiator, I was not with the people that I was negotiating with. They were either in a room, you know, and behind a door and I was doing that, or they were blocks away and we were doing it over the phone. So we had to figure out what was going on based on what people were saying what they weren't saying, and how they were saying it. And there were many times where we would be negotiating with somebody, and we'd spend two hours talking about, you know, this thing over here, when the real problem was this little problem over here that we haven't even talked about yet, because this guy's got to burn off this emotional energy mm -hmm. over here, before we can ever get to the point where we, we, we want to talk about what's really going on and why we're really there. And so, I mean, I, there's a chapter in there about listening and, and not listening to respond, but listening to understand. And, and I think that's a, especially in today's society, I think yeah. that's a huge issue. You know, we, we always want to, you know, it's like, all right, Lucas, hurry up, say something, because I want to get my two cents in instead of, well, what did Lucas just say? And why did he say that? And, and, and coming to an understanding of why you said that. And we don't, we don't do that. We're not very good at doing that anymore. We, we just want, you know, I'm important. So I, I, I want to say what I want to say. And, and nobody understands where people are coming from and things like that. So that's, that's one, of the, one of the stories in the chapters. And it, it is kind of funny because the 10 principles, they're, they're not interrelated. The, you know, number one is not any more important than number seven or anything like that. But whenever people read the book, there's always one principle that kind of jumps out. It's like, this is the one that resonates with me. And, and it's fun for me to watch that when people read it and they're like, well, you know, number four was my line and, you know, number one was mine and number eight was mine. And it's, it's just fun for me to, to watch what, what resonates with people and then to find out why. What, why, why is that your favorite? You know, tell me your story. That's cool. Uh, so it's always different ones. There is not one that is kind of um, universally more picked. No, there really isn't. <laughs> I, I mean, even with me, you know, and I wrote them, you know, there's the one that resonates with me and I'll, and I'll give it to you. It's and, and, and it res resonates with me because I've done it so many times. It's this. It's most people think with their fears and their insecurities instead of using their minds. You know, how many times have you said, 
oh, I want to do that. Oh, wait a minute. That scares me. Or, you know, what if I fail? What are people going to say about me and stuff like that? Who cares what people are going to say about you? You know, who cares if you fail? The only way failure is bad is if you don't learn something from it. If you learn something from failure, maybe you can, you know, your, your business failed. You started a business. It failed. Okay. So it failed. Big deal. What did you learn? Did you learn on something that you can start another business or did you learn something that you can start that same business over again and do it differently? So as long as you learn something, I kind of look at it like failure is a good thing. And, and especially when you're young, you ought to fail often. You know, you ought to try things and, and fail because when you're young, you don't have as much skin in the game. You know, when, when, when you get older, you have a lot more skin in the game. Yeah, you have less to lose when you're young. So, for example, in my position, I don't have wife, I don't have kids. So if I try to set up a new business or I move to another country, um, if it goes wrong, fuck it. I just go back, you know. <laughs> um, but it, I think if you have responsibilities for other people that you love, um, then it becomes a lot harder to, to do those changes. And actually, maybe we can get into that a little bit because very in the beginning, um, you talked about like the most important thing to be prepared to die later on is that we have lived our purpose. And a lot of people, they obviously didn't get into that right from the get-go. They might climb the wrong career path first. And then they get to a point where actually changing your entire life becomes super hard and as you said super scary as well so um are there some recommendations that you can give to people that kind of know their purpose but don't follow it um because they're just because there's too many responsibilities and to make that change yeah i, I guess I, I, you know everybody's different everybody has to decide whether you know this is something, and I, I guess maybe I should back up a little bit. Your purpose doesn't have to be your job, you know, your, your employment. I mean, you could have a job over here, you know, that, you know, yeah, it's a job and I use it to pay the bills and that kind of thing. But my purpose is over here. My purpose is writing or my purpose is music or, or my purpose is volunteering or, or whatever it ends up being. Whatever your purpose is, it, it'll manifest itself if you give it enough time. And, and I, mm -hmm. the, the conversation I had with my, um, my player about, you know, finding and living her purpose, that kind of went on for a while. And we talked about, uh, I, I, are you familiar with the, the restaurant chain, Kentucky Fried Chicken? Have you, have you seen that? Yeah. Okay. So the, the man that started Kentucky Fried Chicken didn't start that business until he was in his 60s, until after he had retired from his first job. Now, I don't know if that was his purpose in life, can't tell you, you know, but I'm going to assume that it was. And can you imagine if when he was in his 40s, he just kind of threw his hands up and said, no, I, I don't, I'm not going to do that. You know, I'm just going to stay here. I'm going to be comfortable. You know, it goes back to our brains kind of being hardwired mm -hmm. to avoid pain and discomfort and to seek pleasure. And that's great. And as long as you are in the status quo, you're not changing anything, everything's good, your brain is fine. But as soon as you step outside that comfort zone, 
that's when your brain starts attacking you. That's when your brain, you know, people who want to find a new job, you know, I'm in a dead end job. I, I want to find a new job. Oh, wait a minute. You know, you may not get along with the people in a new job and, you know, the work here is easy and you're making good money. I mean, that's, that's the kind of stuff that your brain will put into your, to your mind to say, no, don't, don't look for a new job. And, and I know, I mean, I'm old enough, you may not, but you probably know people that are, that are in dead-end jobs, that have been in dead-end jobs for years, and they never seem to break out of that. And I think it's just their brain kicking in and saying, you know, no, no, you shouldn't do that. But here's the deal. The only way you're going to grow, the only way you're going to get better at anything is to step outside that comfort zone, to do things that scare you. Fear is a great motivator. You know, I, I mean, I think you want to get to the point in your life where you know what? I, I'm a little scared about that. I always tell young people, especially, you know, if there's a passion in your heart or your soul and it, you know, it's burning and it's something you want to do, but it scares you, go ahead and do it. Because at the end of your life, the things that you're going to regret are not going to be the things that you did. They're going to be the things that you didn't do. And by then it's going to be too late to go back and, and do them. I, I mean, I can't tell people, you know, there's a magic bullet that if you do this, you'll find your purpose. I, I can't tell you that. It's a struggle. It, 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 it's, it's moving. It's continuing to move forward and not just throw your hands up and quit and give up. It's something you need to keep doing. And I promise you, it'll be worth it. It'll, it'll be worth it when you find that purpose, when you find that passion. Because, I, I, you know, that was another discussion with my player. It's like, well, what if I run out of time? Like, I just don't think a God that put you on the face of this earth to do something is going to pull the rug out from underneath you if you're continuing to move forward to try to find that purpose. And then once you find it, live it. So I don't know if I have a good answer for you in terms of how, you know, how people go about doing it. I just tell you not to give up. I realize that there are responsibilities. There's kids, there's, you know, financial situations and things like that. The decision's got to be yours. And, and I always... I mean, I'm, I have a lot of faith. I have a lot of faith in God. I always tell people to pray about it. And I think eventually it'll reveal what you're supposed to do. But that's hard to do if you're going 900 miles an hour, like we, we talked before, you know, with your hair on fire and all this stuff is going on. Kind of got to center yourself, take a minute, figure out what you're supposed to do. Yeah, so I guess a lot comes back to, to your first principle, right? Control your mind. So take a step back and think about what you're actually thinking and then organize your thoughts and make a decision off of that. And figure out why you're afraid. You know, like, I mean, mm -hmm. yes, I, fear is, you know, fear prevents a lot of people from doing a lot of things. Figure out why you're afraid. What, what are you afraid of happening? What's the worst thing that could happen to you? And could you live with that if it happened? And if you could, then you know what? Don't just stick your toe in the water. Jump in with both feet and see what happens. Is there um, or are there any daily practices that you do uh, to help you refocus and keep your mind under control? There, there is. I, I, I spend about an hour every day uh, or I try to spend an hour every day in prayer, uh, you know, and, and I'd be lying to you if I told you I didn't pray for myself. I do. I, I pray that I get this miracle to, to take this, these tumors from my lungs. But I also pray for the number of people that I've met 
over these last nine years who, you know, are, are yeah, you know, there's an old Winston Churchill quote that says, you know, when you're going through hell, keep going. I, I mean, you, you, most people will look at my situation and say I've been through hell. I could probably point you to several other people who have it a whole lot worse off than I do. And, you know, I look at those people and I pray for them every single day. And I, I just, you know, again, it kind of goes back to, yeah, I'm probably dying. Do I worry about that? Not really. I mean, my oncologist showed me my CAT scan from back in 2020 when the tumors in my lungs were originally discovered. And, and I don't have any medical background or anything like that, but I've seen enough CAT scans and x-rays to kind of know what should be there and what shouldn't. And I looked at him and I'm like, how was I alive back then? And, and he looked at me and he was like, I have no idea. I mean, my tumors, you know, were all over my lungs. I had fluid around the plural spaces, you know, outside my, I mean, I was a mess, but yet I was still here and I was still alive, which said to me, God's not done with you yet. You're, you're not finished doing what you're supposed to do. And so, like I said, I don't spend a lot of time worrying about dying. You know, that'll come when it comes. And I don't have any control over that there, you know, God knows that way above my pay grade. So I don't really spend a lot of time worrying about that. So praying and religion for you is kind of a way to let go of the, how should I, how should I phrase that? I feel like it's, not something I have to focus on because it's outside of, of control, of my control. And by consciously putting it into the control of God, you kind of reinforce um, that thought like, yeah, it's not something I can change, right? So it's a lot about accepting uh, the, the current reality for what it is because you cannot change it. I mean, to a point, but, but with also the understanding that, you know, miracles happen every day mm -hmm. and, you know, that maybe you're one of those miracles. And, and if you give up, you'll, you'll never know. But if you keep going, if you keep moving forward and it's, it's, it's as much about, yeah, this is where I am, but it's also, please give me the strength. Please give me the courage. Please give me the fortitude to mm -hmm. be able to continue to move forward. Because, you know, there was a movie many years ago called The Shawshank Redemption. And, you know, there's a line in it that goes, you know, get busy living or get busy dying. And, and I want to get busy living. And, and there, mm -hmm. there's an old Native American Blackfoot proverb here in the States that goes, when you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. Live your life in such a way so that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. I mean, that's, that's what I want. I, I want. I want to rejoice at the end of my life. I want to be like, yeah, I did what I was supposed to do. I did the best I could, made a lot of mistakes along the way. But now, you know what? Let's see what's on the other side of this. You know, let's see what's on the other side of this life. And it doesn't scare me to, to, to die. It, it's almost exciting. It's, it's kind of like the old Star Trek, you know, where Sulu's sitting at his console. It's like, where are we going, Captain? You know, and Kirk is like, out there. Let's go out there. That's where I want to go. I want to go out there and see what's out there. It's beautiful. I love the quote. That's like, it's so, it's so impressive. It's very nice. Um, yet, what 
I was interested in, you obviously have learned a ton. Um, everything that happened got you to write your book, probably got to know a lot of people as well. Um, did you get to a stage where you're also grateful for everything that happened? Or are you still like, nah, it's not, it shouldn't be like that. Or you know what I mean? It's like, did you get so far that you can develop gratitude for your suffering? Absolutely. I, I mean, and I get asked that question, you know, if you could go back and do it over again, if you could live your life and not get cancer, would you do that? And, and I'm like, no, I, I'm, I'm grateful that I got cancer. Cancer made me or has made me a better person. And I hope it will continue to make me a better person. So I am incredibly grateful for, you know, the, 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 the fact that I'm still here, the fact that I still have, you know, the love of my family and, and, and friends and, and everything that I've experienced in my life. I mean, it, you know, I, I read you my resume. I, I've had a great life. And I am very, very, very thankful that, I, that I've, I've lived that life. And hopefully I've made a difference in the lives of other people by living my life. I hope it hasn't been just about me. And, and I think that's one way that we, you know, we, we show gratefulness. It's like, hey, you know, I've, I am whatever, you know, I, I'm rich. I'm what, I can use what my wealth to help other people. I have knowledge. I can use my knowledge to help other people. Whatever, whatever your gifts are, you can't just keep them inside. You can't just use them for yourself. They were given to you to be used to help other people. And I think that's, that's really what we're put on this earth to do. Whatever our purpose is, it's to help others. It's to influence others. It's not, it's not just about you. It's about us. It's about us together. Us together can do all kinds of things. Amazing. That's like so beautiful. I think that's the perfect place to start to wrap it up. Um, one last question that maybe goes a little bit off topic. I'm sure you're also reading a lot. So maybe give us your favorite book or a book recommendation or something that you have been gifting a lot. Just a question I ask every guest. So <laughs> yeah, I, I and, and the book that I am I'm reading now that, or that I have read that I, that I'm recommending to people now. It, the book is called Legacy. I don't know if you, you've heard about it. It's uh, it's written by a man by the name of Kerr, and it it basically chronicles the New Zealand national rugby team, who by all intents and purposes is the most successful sports franchise in any sport in in any country of all times. And, and the thing that I, 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 did, I read the book, took four pages of notes as I was going through it. And the thing that I thought was a couple things that I thought were interesting is one, here's the, the best rugby team potentially ever, you know, in the world. They would hire people who were great rugby players. And while, yes, that's the case, their main criteria for hiring people is character. What, what, what type of person is this individual we want to bring onto our team? I don't care how great they are. If you're a jerk, they're not gonna, they're not gonna bring you on the team. They're not gonna hire you. So what's your, what's your character? And then the second thing that I thought was incredibly important, again, we're, we're probably the most successful rugby team of all time. You know, we know everything, we know it all. 
No, the, the humility point of, you know what? Yeah, we don't know. We don't know individually, but collectively we come together and we'll figure it out. So character and humility were, were two of the most important things that they look at when they're looking to bring another member onto the team. So I, I would reckon, I mean, there, it's a wealth of, of information, a wealth of knowledge, some great quotes. So I would recommend uh, the book Legacy. I think it's Jim, it's Jim or John Kerr wrote it. Cool. I think I'll have to add that on my list. In general, like I love books where they use sports, like top tier athletes and the values they have and the set of principles and how we can apply them in our own lives to be more successful in something else that we do. Because I think like top level athletics or sports, like there's so much to learn from them, much more than just playing football, soccer or rugby. Right. So that's amazing. Um, if people want to reach out to you, buy your book, um, where can they do so? So the, the book can pretty much be bought anywhere online. You can buy a book. So Amazon, <laughs> barnesandnoble.com, Apple iBooks, anywhere online you can get a book. You can get Sustainable Excellence. Uh, in terms of reaching out to me, I have a, a, a blog that I, I put up a quote for the day. Every day I put up the Monday morning motivational message, which is usually a video or a story. They're always short. I know people are, are you know, their time is at a premium. So everything I put on there is short. Uh, so you need a quick hit of inspiration, go to motivationalcheck.com. Uh, you can leave me a note there. You can get access to my social media sites. You can, you can actually even buy the book on that, but motivationalcheck.com will get you to me. Awesome. So I'll make sure to link the book on Amazon and link motivational check in the show notes that people can easily find you. Um, thank you so much, Terry, for being on. It has been really impressive, uh, also very emotional at times. So I'm super happy that you were on the show. It was a lot of fun and yeah, very interesting. Well, thank, thank, thank you so you, much. Thank you, Lucas, for having me on. I mean, hopefully our conversation today is going to make a difference in somebody's life. And if that's the case, it's been a good day for you and me. Yeah, I definitely say so. I always say if it's only one person that improves their life or that has a great day because of the podcast then it was worth all the effort so absolutely <laughs> you take care of yourself thank you you too thank you so much for being on bye-bye